How about that? It's Monday the 7th of November and it's the audio podcast. Um, I'm Sam Freeman. I'm Scott McLaughlin. And I'm Scott Hewitt. And we've got some stuff to talk about. The show notes are online at wiki.theaudiopodcast.co.uk. And this is show 34. Yeah. Good work. Indeed, and... good work. Yep, okay. So, <laughs> the, oh, the story... Oh, it's slick tonight. <laughs> oh, it is. Stories, I, I was looking through these, and we could have reordered them into making like more of a kind of like linkage between things, but as it is, they had the stories are here just in the order which we added them to the notes. So, first up is Echo Nest and EMI. Um, the Echo Nest developer thingy we've mentioned quite a few times, and now EMI have teamed up with them to create sandboxes for creating applications that use EMI content. So, yeah. It's pretty cool. It is. It's part of the Open EMI initiative. There we go. There we go. I think, yeah, we'll be able to put that in context more as we go on with the show, I think. Yeah. So, so story number two then is... <laughs> that went well. <laughs> Well, you see, this is why I thought we could have reordered these things to kind of like link them all in a bit better. But so I think we'll probably end up talking about them all as they get introduced. Okay. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. Because we have a bit of a piratey thing going on. And like the EMI thing there is giving technologists, programmers, people access to stuff in legitimate ways, but still creative and relatively open ways. Well, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's an open data initiative, really, isn't it, the FNS thing? Uh, it's kind of a, it's, it's an open data initiative, really, isn't it, the FNS thing? Hello, Sam? Hello? Am I still on? Yeah, so come, you, you vanished completely. Let's start that bit again. So yeah, someone came in on the um, Google Hangout and it kind of like made my internet connection go wobbly and everybody's voices went quiet. Yeah, mine too. Shall we try again then? I think that's... uh... So hello, Steve. Hello, Steve. Um, We might need to... It's... Our our ropey internet connections are... um... I think we'll be okay now, now that everything's in. Yeah, it seems to be okay now that everybody's in. Cool. Yeah, that seems okay. Cool. All right. Let's. So, where were we? I I didn't hear the last thing that was said from one of you. Guys. I was just talking about the uh, the Echoness thing being a kind of open data initiative, uh, as I'm if I'm understanding it correctly. It's not so much an open data initiative as it's a you can use our data in a way that we approve of it being used. Good point. Yeah, open data is pushing it a little bit too far. So, whereas Echoness have the database of millions of metadata points about millions of songs and all that this is a way of linking all that metadata into actual content so you can create applications that stream EMI music and then EMI will deal with all of the licensing and royalty issues around that I mean, this seems like a nice way to get the what EMI are good at understanding all this stuff and what Echonest are good at providing uh, the the API. It it seems like a really good connection between the two of them. And it seems ha- a... have we seen anything coming out of it yet? Or 
I don't think so. Not not yet. It does seem a very sensible connection as well to have mm. the, the two. You know what I mean? Saying so EMI. Well, I, I think as somebody else will mention as we get further through our uh, items, you know, refers to the music industry as a dying beast. And I think, you know, EMI is part of the dying beast. Echo Nest is potentially part of the kind of growing industry. So it makes sense for the yeah. two of them to seek a fusion. Much like if you think of somebody like, um, I'm trying to think, like Guitar Hero and stuff like that, who really provided a boost to, you know, those kind of people for quite a while, didn't they? With licensing yeah, absolutely. and such. It will be interesting to see who takes up this uh, th th this initiative from Equinest and EMI. It it's one of those things that having opened, I mean, I know it's not open, open, but it's it's opened up in a way it wasn't before. It'll be interesting to see what people can make of it. I suspect we'll get a rash of applications that allow you quick access to to these kind of things. But surely something something interesting should come out of it. Well, yep, and it's only just been released the past couple of days, so it's a bit early to see on that and. Um, I do have an Echo Nest developer key thing somewhere, but it's been a long time since I went anywhere near it, so I didn't even go in and look <laughs> at the particulars of the sandbox. That... Yeah. Oh, that's... Well, uh, yep. Hey, shall we Damn, go on I, to I the... Uh... Project... Sorry. Shall we go on to the, uh, go on to the next story here yep. that we've made into? Okay, so this is going the other way. Let, let's... Let's not be open about these things. Let's, let's shut it down. Let's make sure that people can't look at certain bits of the internet because people oh, don't yeah. like those bits of the internet. <laughs> the bits that do things that X person doesn't like. In, in fairness to this, I, I would like to play devil's advocate momentarily, but obviously the story is that having BT having lost a long-winded case regarding whether they should be forced to block a, a site which specializes in aggregating illegally copied material... Yep. They having lost that case, they're now, you, you know, people. They're now being approached to. Well, they're now being told that they should also now be blocking the Pirate Bay on the same basis. Now, I, I think there's two points to issue. Two points of issue here. First of all, the site that has, you know, th there is the issue here of if the content's illegal, then it's illegal, and accessing it is providing access to it is fairly kind of, you know, is fairly ropey. But at the same point, the the thing I all these articles always miss out on is the fact that this technology can be used for positive, non-illegal things and is actually very transformative when used in yeah. that sort of way. So it's it's not quite as clicker. I, I think this is a ridiculous notion, to be honest. There's no way that BT are actually going to be able to do this effectively without spending an awful lot of money. And, you know, I mean, it doesn't take rocket science to just register yourself for another domain, get some, get some servers on another IP address, and everything's yeah. back up there again. So, some of the some of the blogs I read on this kind of thing uh, like to refer to this as as a kind of game of whack-a-mole. That you know you can take down the pirate bay and then another one will pop up somewhere else. And if you want to be cynical about it, BT are more than likely more worried about the massive amount of cost that will cost them to do this than actually concerned about the uh, the moral or ethical implications of either side of the case. Well, exactly. I I would go even further than that. Uh, you know, it, okay, it's probably not quite as bad as it once was, but I would certainly suggest that maybe five, six years ago, the number one use of broadband at home was probably for the downloading of illegal material. Sure. So it's their their entire industry is built off the fact they provide access to this stuff, isn't it? Yeah. I can uh, just maybe it's it's illegal. Uh, sorry, the content, the material itself is not illegal. It's illegally. 
it's the downloading which is illegal. It's yeah, illegal downloading true. of material, of copyright material. You're not down. It's not the downloading of legal material. The, the material is perfectly legal. It's just you're only supposed to access it in certain ways. ways. And this isn't an approved way. Yes, it's it's not in a licensed way. Hey, I know what they should do. All these internet um, people, all these all these industry people, should put some sort of like rights management into their digital content. How about, how about that? <laughs> that that would be an awesome idea. As, as if maybe somebody's done that before. Hmm. I wonder. Hmm. Oh, what's the next story? <laughs> bum, bum, bum. The DRM Graveyard: A Brief History of Digital Rights Management in Music. This I, is a really great article. It's nice to see someone just summing this up. Tech Dirt have summed up this kind of thing before in a more roundabout way, just talking about the failures of the music and film industries to create DRM that actually works for customers. But this is a nice, a nice uh, roundup of the whole scene. Scott, I think you're being very generous there when you say that actually works for customers. I think a, a better statement would be that actually works for anybody <laughs> in that statement. <laughs> I think that's fair. What? Well, no, it occasionally works for the uh, for the content companies because they occasionally manage to stop one or two people from copying it, occasionally. But in doing so, they end up screwing up completely uh, legitimate users, legitimate uses. Yeah. Let's not forget the... Uh, have they included the classic Coldplay uh, rootkit one? The Sony Coldplay rootkit? Yeah, the, the, the yep. Sony rootkit's in there. I was happy yep, to see that. Uh, October, November 2005. Yep. Nice work there. So they've got a timeline. There's a little introduction on this um, article, and then the timeline starts October 1998, and then goes through up to up to now, to November 2011, with various points showing little gravestones where where a particular move died, and Beautiful. illustrating as it goes where people started things and then pulled them back, and what that meant for consumers. But it's also nice to note along the way that it, it does, if this was done as a graphic, and I would really hope somebody will take that, that challenge and do this as a nice graphic, uh -huh. there are lots of places along the timeline where things go DRM-free as well. Just yep. the second last entry, September 2010, the Ovi Music Store for Nokia goes DRM-free. So I think it's interesting to see, it would be great to see the two different trees of where the DRM kicks in, where the DRM fails, and then other companies that decide just not to use DRM anymore. True. And then um, one thing that going back to EMI from my first story, they were mentioned early on in the timeline. I'm just looking for it again now as one of the first groups to do something or other. Well, I can't see it now. When I was reading it, I, I saw the link there. Yeah, I can't spot it either. I was trying to find it. April, there is April 2007. EMI's music library becomes DRM free on iTunes. But that was a premium thing at the time. But wasn't that also because it was an iTunes decision? iTunes went DRM-free, and anyone using iTunes then, by implication, had to also go DRM-free. Well, yeah, the, on the on this same timeline, February 2007, Steve Jobs kind of publicly says it's because of the industry that we're doing it this way. And then a couple of yep. months later, EMI say, all right, then don't do it that way. Do it, do it another way. <laughs> that, that was along alongside the uh, Electronic Freedom Foundation's the uh, defective by design, where they started uh, wearing yeah. hazmat suits and standing outside Apple stores, didn't they, for <laughs> a couple of months? Beautiful. Was, I remember that being pretty funny. I I didn't realize that Nokia had a music store. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, you just lost us a couple of followers there. The Ovi music. What does that mean? Who, oh, goodness knows. You're in the wrong country. If, if you were from Ireland, like I am, um, you would see this all over the place. Because Nokia, I think there was a time when Nokia basically was the Irish phone industry. Everyone in Ireland had a Nokia phone, and Ovi probably did really well there for a while. But, yeah, it's not so well known over here. That's That's fair enough. I guess, you know, yeah, fair enough. I, I'm saying it's nice that Rhapsody still exists, but it always amuses me how these companies are allowed to cancel support for formats, especially within the lifespan of, I of you know, software that's running it. Like it would make sense for them to stop selling it, and in 15 years' time, where the la- when the last Windows XP box has been turned off, to be like, oh, we don't support it anymore. But well, it makes sense for who. I mean, this is this is also part of the long-running uh, saga here. That as soon as you, as soon as you press OK or agree on your EULA, then you've signed up for whatever the hell they want. Yeah, it can be. Do you remember a few years ago there was a there was a classic uh, YouTube sketch of a guy who invites his friend over, and his friend comes to the door, and he steps in the door, and as soon as he steps in the door, the guy says, "By stepping through my door, you have." implicitly signed an end-user license agreement that gives me the right to everything you own and your life. And then he steals his girlfriend and all this other stuff. It's highly amusing, but it sums up the whole situation. Very good. Very good. I, I would definitely <laughs> recommend... I, I'm going to draw us to a close on that, and I'm yep. sure Sam Freeman has an awesome, witty link on the way. But um, I, I do think that's a really <laughs> great article. It's um, opensource.com, uh, the DRM Graveyard Brief History of Digital Rights Management in Music. So I definitely recommend uh, checking that out because it's... I, I thought it was a great article. I really liked it. Yep, it's a nice summary. Sam? Okay, so never mind stuff that other people have made. What if you are making sound? What if you are want to make something? And what if you particularly into sound design for film? Ooh. That was it. That was the best I could do. <laughs> no, I, I think that's... That that's pretty awesome. The Vancouver Film School has a full scholarship on offer in exchange for competing in a in a challenge. Yeah. Yep. So this is um, there's only five days left to submit apparently. So, <laughs> sorry. The the challenge is to produce a piece of audio up to ninety seconds in length and put it on SoundCloud in a particular way with the right title and text descriptions and such things. Um, and you can do up to three out of five categories, one per category. So these, so these are the things that you could interpret in sound. The color red, the birth of an idea, an imaginary animal being born, falling in love, or lastly, a post-apocalyptic landscape. Oh, I was doing so well as well. They, they all <laughs> sound like future show titles to me. Yeah, pink. <laughs> Hey, maybe we, I mean, if people are putting stuff on SoundCloud with these titles under, um, under CC licensing, we can just rob it. Isn't that how it works? I'm, I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> rob it seems slightly, uh, slightly... I mean, use it. Legitimately use it. <laughs> Legitimately use it within terms of the licensing. Yeah, perhaps. Maybe. See, it's also complicated. I just tend not think about it, make my own sound. Yeah, fair enough. So that's kind of cool. You've got five days left to submit. So that's November November the 13th. That's probably a more useful metric than, you know, five days left to submit from some random point in this week when you listen to this. Um, and what do you win? But you, you win a scholarship to go to the Vancouver Film School to um, do a, what is it? Is it a degree? What is, what is it exactly that you are on? They're 
it's their sound design for visual media program. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't follow that link. I'm a bit. <laughs> I read yeah, all of this page. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you if you were making some sound design though, you might want some cool kind of toy device instruments to make these <sighs> some of these sounds with. Here we go. And uh, and a device that we're very cool of has acquired some uh, brothers. Uh, would be one way of putting it, I think. Or some siblings, perhaps. Yes, some the, more um, monotrons. Monotron is now a series of things, all similarly sized. Monotrons, yep. Um, yep. So there's, in addition to the original Korg Monotron, there is now the Monotron Duo and the Monotron Delay. Since this news came out, I forwarded this to about ten people, and I think at least three of those, if not five or six of those, have already got their Christmas plans sorted out for Monotrons. If it's, I haven't seen the pricing on these, but if it's in the same price range as, as the original Monotron, these are going to go like cake. Yeah, they, yep. they've, I, I haven't seen pricing on them yet either, but they've got to be in that sort of, that, that sort of thing. Oh, there's a buy now button. Wait a minute, I'll go try and buy now how much. An American <laughs> buy now button. The nice new features are the, the Monotron Duo. So instead of one VCO, you now have got two, which are square waves instead. They've got this weird scale select thing, which, I, I can see it makes sense. I don't like it, but then again, I might end up using it. So in the original one, it's just a ribbon strip. So you're just glissandoing from note to note. And it's hard to actually get notes in tune unless you really try. But on this new one, you can make the ribbon strip turn into a discrete set of steps. So chromatic or major or minor, or just have it in its original mode, oh, which is useful. That's cool. Yeah. So you've got the Monotron Duo, which has two VCOs, and then you've got the Monotron Delay, which is like the original Monotron, but with an additional delay control, so standard rate and feedback controls on that. I think you'll Again, find that's a, a, that's a space delay. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's one for people who want to do melodic type stuff, get that, get that kind of vocal delay going on. Well, and don't forget that like all Monotrons have the... Um, auxiliary input so you can feed anything into this so this is Which a I've still never done ah oh, missing out man um ah. but the the um product video demonstration the korg's own one on their web page uh -huh. for the delay um i watched that at length it didn't work very well the video player they're using is rubbish um <laughs> really bad but I, I got to see it eventually and it's awesome. You, we, if you put the feedback all the way up, then it will keep the loop, and you can the time goes wow. from very small to quite substantial. So you can get proper infinite loops of um, little phrases and very That's interesting cool. stuff possible in there. Yeah. Scott, how's it going on the uh, on on the price? Price listing. Um, I, I gave up. It did one of those things where it wanted me to try and find a. Uh, a, re a reseller and all that sort of stuff, and I just, oh I just couldn't God. be bothered. Not so worth it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for the cheap Google Google search. Oh, that's fair enough. Well, I, they're going to be the same sort of price, surely, surely, surely. Surely. I wonder if you can get like a really cool. You know, it'd be great if you could get some sort of like Drelux display case, which has the three of them, and you buy it all the one, and they're like consecutive <laughs> part numbers. You know, that'd, that'd be nice. With little little patch cards, so you can like chain them together. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's that's exactly it. And some sort of endorsement about how you should chain them together. It'd be it'd be wicked. That'd yeah, be, that'd, that'd be, be really pretty cool. cool. What what I'm hoping for is a kind of keytar interface where you can stand up, <laughs> and stick all three of them together, and play them like a keytar. Oh, that'd be awesome. 
That'd or awesome. even a single keytar interface you could plug into all three and play all three at the same time and then mix them. That'd be cool. Can I just Isn't ask, uh, Scott, just to clarify this, if Korg are listening, heard that idea and think it awesome, are you willing just to give that away? or are you? Yeah, they can have it. They That's can do cool. it. That's right. As long as they call it the Scottatron. That's Scottatron. All I'm the Scottatron. I'm, yeah. I'm happy with that as well, actually. As a... So a little spin-off um, from this, they are plugging on the page that we've linked to, the um, Monomania sound contest and if you if you were to follow that link through then you end up in youtube with lots of videos of people making sounds with monotron monotribe and chaos pads and such the like awesome and, yep there uh, i have just turned up a link here where a uk company gak.co.uk are selling the monotron duo for 99 pounds which is well, that's, it's still that's not twice. a pile, but it's more expensive than, than the original Monotron was selling at. The original Monotron in the UK sells at something like... I don't know. Never, uh, that's 40, about £50, pounds, yeah. I think yeah, they've gone up a little bit more, actually. Yeah, but there's going up a little more, and there's going up by 100%. It's quite a bit when, for one extra VCO. VCO. But maybe, maybe um, they've because it's brand new, they've got that kind of like... We'll sell it like this while we're the only people stocking them, and then people have caught on that it could be cheaper. Yep. So, I suspect we'll see that come down over time if it's not, yeah, if not immediately. Nice. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, going away from a uh, from a from a fairly cheap toy that will last you forever, uh, heading towards <laughs> instead to an. <laughs> so, you haven't seen Richard Glover's one. <laughs> Well, yes, precisely. <laughs> but uh, heading heading towards a uh, an incredibly well a fairly expensive piece of software that might get replaced next uh, by February, possibly. It's a, that's very unfair. I'm sorry about that. But um, a, well, except that the nature of the story is <laughs> a new plugin format. Really, uh, create digital music. CDM had a a really great question and answer session with Avid about AAX, the new plugin format for Pro Tools. Um, I thought it was really cool, um, really well written, well, really well written, a really frank opinion given by CDM and Avid about what's, what's going on, why there's a new format. I'm actually going to come out and say that I think it's a good idea, a new audio format, why not have a new plugin format, new architecture, you might as well roll it all out at the same time. So I think they're actually being fairly, fairly fair to people about it. And, you know what I mean? I thought that was kind of okay. It's, uh, <laughs> Well, yep, and what's so some of the stuff that's new in this new format in the AAX as opposed to the RTAS and TDM, which it's replacing, is it's now 32 bit in there instead of is, is that is that right? Yeah, yeah. So you got um, are they actually are they not actually even higher than that though? Are they not at 64 bit if I'm currently? Well, this is the thing, I think they've tried to kind of no, they're talking about the 64 bit versions of Pro Tools software, but the thing itself appears that... Oh, no, what, what they're saying system. is... Yeah, sorry. So Pro Tools 10 is actually 32-bit still, and I believe it's Pro Tools 11, which is going to be the 64-bit version, and when they get to the 64-bit version, they're going to drop all the support for everything, which is 32-bit. But this new format is... The new plugin format is 32 and 64, and will ease that transition for people who make the investment in the format now to get okay. to 64 bit later on sort of stuff which so yeah. is this i mean i can just imagine people with their thousands of pounds of rtas plugins sitting there and wondering blue, blue face 192s and stuff and yeah and i guess it'll still work on the old hardware but it means that going forwards yeah well that's 
it's kind of a null point because the newer versions of Pro Tools itself will not run on the older software, on the older hardware once it becomes fully 64-bit. So, I, to I be know. honest, I, I, I kind of, I, I've been thinking about it more because we've in the past we've been, you know, we've had a lot of fun at the expense of Avid, and um, I've, I've been thinking, you know, let, you know, let's make sure we're being balanced about this. And I think, to be honest, I kind of feel like I understand what they're doing now a bit more as a company and the way they're operating. I don't have any inside knowledge of them, but it strikes me that Avid are very keen to provide the fully integrated professional environment, the fully integrated professional production environment for video and audio. And as a consequence, they're starting to unify the language. So we're seeing things like they're going from no longer, they're no longer referring to audio regions. They now refer to audio clips because of the fact they refer to video clips as well. So I I think this integration between the two, the integration between the video and the audio products that they're going to put together is really something that at the moment they're probably only capable of doing. And at the very highest professional level, they are building the kind of production suites which are going to really empower a lot of production houses and businesses to do things they haven't been able to do before in a much faster, leaner way, which is going to be really great for those businesses. And to do that, there are architectural problems and there are software problems that need fixed, which were problems that DigiDesign never would have needed to worry about because they didn't have a video production arm to worry about. And I think I think in many ways that's what we're seeing. And at the same point, there's the whole 64-bit transition in the computing world that they want to do. And there's all sorts of, you know, higher, you know, higher band, you know, high, higher bandwidth and video requirements and stuff that needs sorting as well. So I think, to be honest, you know, Avid have, you know, you know, they acquired Pro Tools, they've worked for it for a bit. Now they want to kind of transition it into the product that they want it to be in their product lineup, which is what they believe people want it to be. And I think they're focusing entire they're focusing very much on this kind of high end stuff. Because well it's very clear, isn't it? At the bottom end they turned around and said you can run it on any hardware you want, that's it, and just sort of carried on. It's mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like there's no essentially they've got rid of the need to support things like double O ones and double O twos and all, you know, even even something like an Mbox is essentially, you know, you could use another company's piece of hardware to do that job now. So it doesn't, you know, I mean, I kind of I kind of understand where they're going. And yeah, I'm saying if you if you bought a uh, you know if you bought some Blueface hardware last year, then this you know well earlier this year it's a bit of a disaster. But then you buy what you need when you need it because you need it to do a job. So maybe I don't know. <laughs> well. Yeah, when you're talking about that much money for some people at the at the lower end of the top end, then that could be quite an investment that they might expect to last a long time. But, and I'm sure it will. It just be fixed in time. And I, yeah, I agree. I think it's a very, a very good point that you make about the inevitability of the integration of audio and video work. Historically, these have been separate things. There's definitely no need for it to be. So separate. Sorry, I was just seeing what that kunk was about. I can't see it. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, so if um if you were unhappy that your hardware is no longer supported, you might be interested in some um, open source hardware. Ah, that's av- that's available for you. Yes. Yes, indeed. So this is another story um, which is linked to which is on Create Digital Music. It, it is um, CDM themselves who are doing this. Yep. And so, yeah, we talk, we've, we've mentioned open source software quite a bit on this show, and this is asking 
for it's kind of a it's a survey of what open gear there is out there. So hardware kits and yeah, they quite they they kind of point out how applying the idea of open licensing etc to physical stuff is a bit different. You know, it's a bit could be a bit tricky, and I'm not going to attempt to explain that. No, I, I think people should go read the article if they want to understand it. But I think it's it's for the future. It's a really fascinating idea, and it opens up a lot of possibilities in the same way that open source software did. So, have either of you submitted anything on this form? No, no, no. But I will definitely be exploring some of the options that are in there. I mean, I'm I'm not a huge hardware guy. I don't have, I I don't have the the well the need for it, I guess, at the moment. But Scott. No, not at all. And I, the only experience I've really had of this is in two, I guess, in two aspects. Um, I recently kind of uh, did some modifications to my Wii to uh, enable it to do things <laughs> it shouldn't originally have done. And um, in, in addition to that, having recently installed Linux on a uh, on a netbook, I've become painfully aware once again as to the uh, as to how useful open hardware would actually be. Yep. The the idea that you could buy something and it would come with the instructions that you require to uh, make it do whatever you want it to do rather than whatever behavior has been pre-approved. This is, this is the kind of circular conversation that we're having among several things today. And it's, it's a generally problematic conversation that for companies, monopolism is the way forward. Uh, making it Making gear that anyone can do anything with is a terrible business idea from a certain perspective. But for people, this is a great idea. It's a question of where our priorities lie. Yeah, no, it's a very... So, yep, we're that slightly... is one of those polemical statements. Again, that's very difficult to follow. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. That's okay. I'll, we can link it back to the other stories, the, um, the Korg Monotron series and the Monotribe. They're, um, the schematics for those have been released, so people can yeah. more easily see what's going on inside and around that various well-documented modifications have been floating around and so and and indeed the um the one thing which i did put in the form is a little synthesizer that i built over summer the vibrati punk console vpc um Ooh. which is a little analog kit you know you sold it together and yeah. the uh, do you build it from first principles so you buy the bits separately? yeah well i did it i made i was um it was at a Dorkbot thing, and he was in a workshop. Ah, I paid what, maybe twenty pounds ahead of time, and he brought all the parts I needed: nine volt batteries, little speaker, the whole lot. And um, yeah, I, he even provided me with a little jack socket to put on in place of the speaker because that's the way I wanted it to work. And the extra resistor needed to to make that go. Yeah. So what have you actually supplied to the project, or have you supplied the schematics, or? When you said you filled in the form, what do you mean? Oh yeah, so I submitted that as a thing. So they, the, one, the way that it's made, it's, they kind of, they're asking anyone to do it. So they don't care whether or not it's something that you've made or just something that you've seen. So cool. this is something which I've physically made one of, as in I have my own of these things, um, but I didn't invent it. Does that make sense? It's a bit, see, it's one of it's the vagary of the vagary, vagaries, vagary of this is, um, Yeah, it's confusing. I think the the reason why this isn't a kind of massive at risk 
or at concern topic is the fact that well the argument of you can do anything with the open software if you know what you're doing and that's moderately accessible and increasingly so with the hardware question it becomes even more problematic doesn't it because it's you can do anything you want with the hardware if you know how to do it and even fewer people know really how to effectively work with elements of the hardware i'm saying when you when you start to talk about it'd be yeah. great if we could have a fully you know if you imagine a fully open source laptop then there, it's really not going to facilitate that many more people actually doing that much more with it perhaps so. yeah but the fact that it facilitates somebody i think is important i i don't think it's relevant how many people it will facilitate i think as long as it's open and some people can make use of it then that's the people who need it to be open so, and it's basically it's going against this the idea where you have people in control of money who employ people who have ideas and know how to make things and then the things that they make are kept secret by the people who pay the bills in order so that they can make money out of it and no one else yeah. will know how they're making it monopolism yeah that's very true oh, cool. so uh, talking about a, a company who make things oh i think we've got somebody else dropping in on our hangout here oh Hey, Rodrigo, hello. Hey. Hello, hello Rodrigo. Hello. Uh, we would wave at you, but we've all muted video. Uh, you're actually an ideal person to have you, but we should let you know that we're actually in the process of recording a podcast. And, oh. and this is a perfect time to come in, actually, Rod. Um, we were just talking about <laughs> open hardware. All right. So um, <laughs> have, have, have you seen the, um, the Create Digital Music blog um, open... What's it? What do they call it? The CDM Open Source Music Hardware Survey. Uh, no. Well, 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 there you go. It exists, and you might be interested because well, create have... digital music. Yep. Open source music hardware. Open source music hardware. Let's see. I like this. This is an awesome feature. We can have like random people just drop in on the show. This is ace. Nice. <laughs> is this kind of the equivalent of us walking the streets like uh, like ITN News and just asking people on the street what they think about stuff? But luckily, the person we're asking knows a lot about the stuff. Well, I... <laughs> unlike your usual Vox Pop. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> That'd be unlike awesome. We, we, we had a roving reporter who just goes in like, you know, something, yeah. Really kind of yeah. Okay, well, anyway, we need to get to the end of the end of the show. We got two items left to go. Um, Can I make a request that we tackle the the Townsend John Peel lecture first? Yeah, let's let's just skip over one, Scott. It's boring. <laughs> it's not boring. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll talk about it. I thought it was very relevant, hardware related. Well, okay, we can say what it is, and then we'll move on, and then we'll come back to the open source hardware. How about that? Yeah. Okay, well, how, how about this? I wasn't suggesting skipping. I was just suggesting okay. a reorder. No, I, I okay. think we're going to skip it, but we're just going to mention the fact that Apple might be abandoning the Mac Pro. So, uh, John Peel. So, hey. hey. So, John Peel was a pirate too. Did you know that? <laughs> that's, that's the title of the show this week because, um, well, he was he, before he was on the BBC. He, he was, was on Pirate on... Radio, wasn't he? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And they were literally they were out at sea. They were on a boat in the ocean broadcasting music without permission. Imagine. Was he on Radio Caroline or one of the other ones? It was Radio Caroline, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. This is a slight yeah. segue, but I recently watched uh, The Boat That Rocks, which is actually quite entertaining for um, 
evening's view. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sorry about that. So, um, um, in in honor of John Peel, uh, BBC Radio Six Extra is it called or whatever? Um, I've decided to have an annual lecture, which is the John Peel lecture, where they're going to invite somebody to talk about the ideals of John Peel as they relate to the music industry currently. So they uh, got yeah. uh, they got Townsend into it. Yep, Pete Townsend comes in to do the John Peel lecture, and you know, and it's really nice that the Guardian just reprints the whole lecture like this. This is very cool. Uh, he, he gives a great lecture. I disagree with him on so many points, but you know, he doesn't pull his punches. And he definitely lays into things as he sees it. And he's very honest. And very wrong, but very honest. <laughs> so <he's... laughs> so I, I think just to give a bit of context, because, well, obviously, if you want to, you could now pause the podcast and Wikipedia John Peel. But John Peel was, is mo- most well known, I presume, well, I would suggest, for the fact that he had a reputation of playing anything that took his fancy and was, well, initially largely in defiance of playlisting, but was eventually given, you know, formal permission to play what he wanted. Yeah. Which, and as a consequence, he started playing a whole variety of things and a whole variety of artists owe their success and the success to the exposure they were given on John Peel due to the fact that he was transmitting on Radio 1, which is available to the entire country and, you know. And for a large proportion of the time has been the, the country's, up until the 90s, was the country's most popular radio station by a long stretch. Yep. And John Peel was doing this from the 60s continuously through into the, well, when did he, when, when did he die? Was it 2004? About that, yeah. And he was still, I think he was on holiday when he died, but he was broadcasting right up till then. So. Yeah. But yeah. the really amazing thing about Peel, and following on from what Scott said, is that this curatorial control that he had, that he was basically curating uh, all the music he could come across, and he was putting out there whatever he thought was interesting. And this curatorial thing is something that most radio stations don't do enough of, which is partly what an argument that Townsend is making. And there's also the question of how relevant is the, the radio as a medium for dissemination yeah. of music now? I don't know. That's just a question. I don't propose to answer it. Yeah. I mean, to my mind, this, this Townsend talk could be an entire podcast in itself. There's so much to pick apart in there and so much to talk about. I thought it'd be... I, the key points I thought were cool. First of all, I felt the... Well, I'm not sure cool, but you know what I mean? I'd, I'd want to comment on was I felt he was fairly aggressive against what Apple have done. In, yeah. In terms of... Because the way that he talks about it, he basically says that Apple have provided a... a uh, basically a bank service who will collect money in exchange for your wares but that's yeah. all they offer and in doing that they've dismantled an entire industry which was around the promotion of promotion and discovery of new material and new artists well, what i like though is that he's he's very forthright about the points that he thinks apple itunes could do that would make things better and there are a bunch of really really good suggestions some of them not all of them but there's some really great suggestions in there even though he's mainly looking at it from a perspective of iTunes should replace uh, record companies and their function, which I'm not sure I entirely agree with, but they're still mainly good suggestions. I think, but the, the thing that alarmed me the most is, can you imagine, you know, when we were in a situation where we had maybe five or six companies who were competing against each other, who yes. had competing things and different focuses and stuff like that, whereas you can imagine with, with Apple, who basically are just trying to sell as much music as possible to the, you know, so you buy as many devices of their devices as possible. Yep. I can't imagine that 
their A&R team, if it was to ever exist, would be particularly innovative in its, uh, you know, here's random stuff that you would like, you might want to hear for free once category. I just, yeah, I know what you mean. I, I just don't but think they'd be interested in doing that. No, I, I, it realistically, I don't either. It would, might be interesting if they did, and they may find that by doing that, they then increase their own, you know, they increase the e ecosystem that feeds them, but maybe they don't see it that way. I mean, at the same time, though, if you look at the App Store, sorry to chime in there, um, a lot of the money from the App Store comes from independent developers. Yep. It's a lot of, like, I've never heard of this company, and they're making, you know, selling billions of this one little thing. So I think that model could easily apply to music Yeah. if, if the accessibility is there. Definitely. Scott, what was the second thing that you were going to mention? Those are the two things you said. Did I say two things? What was the second one? The first one was the... All this, what was the second one? The, the second one that I thought that he didn't mention was he talked about how the radio people play uh, pay a license for plays, yeah. and the internet people don't by standard, and that's a real problem. But I think in doing that, he kind of completely missed the point, which is essentially what we're doing. We offer a... You know, we can do this show. It's The, the, the boundaries of doing this show are basically are very low now in terms of what they would have been if we tried to do this 10 years ago. And as a consequence, it's possible for us to do this. And essentially everybody in the world could produce their, these are my favorite 10 songs this week, of which only maybe one per, one other person would ever listen to their thing. Sure. And it's just impractical to, you know what I mean? If you couldn't do it, that's part of the reason why we don't have, we play, we play Creative Commons music, but we don't play anything yeah. else because it's, it's not even affordable for us to even consider approaching somebody about whether it would be practical to use their material oh, so we just don't but we can so we can link that point and rodrigo's very good point all back to the original story of the um emi open api stuff through echo nest where you could have an application which targets which goes through the apple i store and like for the ipad or whatever which is then tapping into music data in a creative way but then because it's going through the emi thing all of that licensing stuff so that a little bit of what you charge your night bit of your 99 yeah. cents will somehow work its way through emi you don't need to worry about it but it will get its way to the people whose tunes have been played through your software or something like that i don't know in theory although of course it's also worth pointing out and i i can refer you on to various sector articles on this that the the accounting practices of many of the large record companies are such that only the large musicians get paid and the smaller musicians simply just don't get paid on it. Well, that, that's probably overstating the case, but money well, tends not to trickle down to the smallest players. And it's certainly the case that in music industries and film industry, they play the moral card quite a lot. You know, you wouldn't steal someone's high bag, handbag. It's morally wrong to do that. Whereas it's morally okay to kind of like take teenage kids and tell them that you're going to like make all their dreams yeah. come through and actually they can make an album and still owe, you, owe the record company a million pounds, you know? It's... Mm. I think this is a good point. To, if I take issue with one of Pete Townsend's things at all, it's that he's perpetuating this stealing metaphor that is just so, so wrong-headed. It, it's not even wrong in my opinion. It's just wrong. <laughs> I, Scott, I'm going. I'm going it, to it, jump it, in. Word. I'm. I'm going to jump in defensively there actually because what? While I understand the point, you're not stealing because he still has it. At the same point, the whole kind of stealing in that he normally grants you permission to have it based on 
an exchange of finance that isn't occurring. So there is a ma- there is a theft occurring in that respect. Whether it should ever be, we will have to argue this over respect. at length sometime. I, I, I suspect the podcast is not the place for us to argue about this, but I completely and utterly disagree. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to bring his knives out. I think. <laughs> no, I, I think you have to. You, I, I've heard this argument so many times, and people are like it's not stealing because he still has it, and that's fair. It's I, not that I, I un- simple either. I, I understand that point, but at the same point, if your way of earning a living is through revenue derived by providing access to something, and somebody illegally gains access without paying for it, then. You know what I mean? There isn't. I'm. I'm not sure what other term we could use to describe that scenario. Because there well, is a term mean, it, for that scenario. It's called copyright infringement. <laughs> Stealing is when you steal stuff. Copyright infringement is when you infringe people's copyrights. They're quite different. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it also it's just a different paradigm altogether. Just the technology reshapes how that that argument, that discussion, that exchange of anything is framed. It, it just it's a it's a fundamentally different thing that happens now period so that, I mean, that what it comes of... down to is, is just that as as sam said i mean regardless of how we feel about the specific argument the, the the moralistic tone is taken with this word stealing the music industry has managed to capture a moral argument by using the term stealing and we can agree or disagree about whether it's correct but it's well if, if you take my argument, then it, it's very, very, very difficult to see how they have any moral legs to stand on, given their own behavior most of the time. But still, like I said, it's a much more complex argument than I really want to get into on, on the podcast. Could, could I pose an interesting, um, j- just a question? Because it, it intrigues me about this, because um, he, Pete himself, well, Pete, yes, my good mate, Pete, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but he, he himself kind of says, oh, it's a bit ridiculous. Uh, me talking about these things because obviously I'm, you know, very wealthy and very successful as a consequence of this. And at the same point, I feel that our conversation about this is kind of impaired because of the fact we're at the other end of the extreme. We aren't incredibly wealthy because of it. And it just, it intrigues me as to, is there actually any group of people who are able to talk about this? Do you think? <laughs> I, compl- I, I agree. I, it's, yeah, it's so hard to because uh, everyone is going to come in with an agenda, and I obviously have an agenda. Pete has an agenda. Pete. I'll it's very Pete. difficult to talk objectively about this. We should, we should get someone on Wall Street or go down, go down, <laughs> s- s- find someone who's occupying. Go, go, go after ninety-nine percent. See what they have to say. <laughs> I mean, there was a real. I, I've been loving the tech. One at a time, please, guys. Uh, One at a time. Go, Rod. Yeah, um, yeah there, I, I saw, uh, um, I think I think came off Tech Dirt, which I've been loving, by the way, a uh, Cory Doctorow article on, on him talking about how arguments need to be framed differently in terms of not being about copyright and just being about information and the internet in general as it, the, the underlying technology applies more broadly than, than what is being used in terms of, like, copyright infringement and stealing and, and that whole argument that that it's not really about that that it can't be about that yeah. just because the technology is blanketly applicable the copyright is something from the print era that is difficult if not impossible to apply in the current context but the argument yeah. continues around it yeah well I mean, we could definitely carry on with this but i think it yeah. is a good place for a different podcast which we should maybe set up but um let's 
let's move along. Um, so a link to this is um, this week's plunder um, for, uh, on the show notes at wiki.theaudiopodcast.co.uk is a link to the BBC iPlayer um, visual broadcast of this lecture we've been talking about. So there's an extra eight minutes at the beginning before this, which you can read on the Guardian webpage, begins. So worth checking out if you're able to do so. Yep, and I also added in the uh, the transcript of that as well as the second link in the plunder. So if you don't want to watch it, you can read it instead. Very good, which is kind of cool. And um, I think we've made it to the uh, to the end of the show. Scott has gone for his tea. He's just gone. <laughs> it's the seven it's the seven o'clock start thing. It doesn't. It's it's going to be like this every week. Um. <laughs> oh, it's just it's just crazy, isn't it? Well, we should uh, we we should pack this episode up, I guess, and then we're. And I can so, continue trying to move house. Yes, you, and um, thanks, Rod, for dropping in. Yeah, thank yeah, you, Rod. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rod, we, we will add you to today's uh, show notes as a presenter on the audio podcast. So, oh, excellent. <laughs> thank you very much yeah, for your insights. I hang out and I figured I'd come see what was happening. Yeah, good. No, that's, yeah. It's good. So, yeah, well, unless, unless Scott McLaughlin gets his way and we change the time, we'll be back at 7 p.m. UK time next week. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So feel free to come say hi. Don't forget if you want you if you can't get in on the hangout, you can watch us on Justin.tv or if you want to download it onto your iPod or iOS device or Android device or your you know, if you want to get it on a podcast, then it's there at uh well wiki.theaudiopodcast.co.uk. Yeah. Cool. cool. Thanks for being there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna say goodbye. Goodbye from Scott. Goodbye from Sam. Uh, goodbye from Rod. <laughs> <laughs>